Good morning, Chapel Hill. All right, go ahead and get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible, you're going to need one to follow along in. Just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers will bring around Bibles, and they'll give you a Bible that you can use to follow along in and, uh, and keep if you do not have a Bible of your own. Just take that with you. All right, if I asked you to share the following two things with me, and I let you all answer me individually, uh, we would be here the rest of the day, so I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I am going to ask you to think about a couple of things here, okay? And it's not, this is the Christmas season, and you're going to right away go, well, that's not a very cheery way to start a Christmas message, but I'm going to do it anyway, because it leads to a point. So here's the the two things that I want you to think about, okay? Uh, Number one... What if I asked you to tell me about a time when somebody let you down, okay? Number two, what if I asked you to tell me about a time when your expectations were simply not met, right? Those are the things I want you to think about, and we'll leave those behind pretty quickly here. Here's the reality, though, even if we left out all the stories that involve the Vikings, Twins, Timberwolves, or Wild, we would still have all kinds of material to work with as we think about ways in which we've been let down or our expectations were simply not met. Because we live in a fallen world where we've been let down and we ourselves have let others down... We have this longing in us for something that we rarely find, but we really, really want. And even in the Christmas story, there's an inclusion of this all too common experience. Turn to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles. Matthew 1, right at the beginning of the New Testament. The beginning of Matthew 1 features the genealogy of Jesus dating way back to the time of Abraham. And there's tremendous significance in this. The genealogy itself is solid proof of what we're going to take time to remember this morning. It is proof of God's faithfulness. This genealogy put together by Matthew shows us what Matthew's focus was. There's something in there that I hadn't considered very often before. That focus is carried on throughout Matthew's gospel, through the book of Matthew, And I'm going to read through, and um, what I'm going to do here is not read through the long list of names in the genealogy, but I want you to to skip past those and take a look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, before we get into our text for this morning. This is what it says as Matthew sums up the genealogy that he's just written. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. In verse 1 of Matthew 1, Matthew opened by calling his list the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Um, Know this, that Matthew, as you read through his book, you will find that Matthew is very David-centric in his writing. David comes up a lot in the book of Matthew, hardly at all in Mark and Luke, not at all in John. But David is central to Matthew's writings. And one last cool thing about this, why does Matthew list these names in groups of 14 generations? Well, if you take the name David in Hebrew... 
and you isolate the consonants, D, V, and D, and you assign each of those letters their numerical value, which was a Hebrew practice in writing in their alphabet, you come up with the numbers 4, 6, and 4, which equal what? 14. There are some extraordinary things about the Bible that can easily go unnoticed, and it is well worth the journey to explore beneath the surface sometimes and see what's there, see what's behind these statements that are made. <clears throat> okay, now we get to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Our message starts there, so follow along in your Bible. Matthew 1, 18 to 25, this is what he writes. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, this is a story that we know well. It's a story that we revisit every year. Now, for a few minutes this morning, keep your focus on Joseph. Joseph was facing that sense of being let down that we talked about earlier, from where he stood before the visit from the angel in his dream, Mary had really let Joseph down. How could he not wonder about her pregnancy? Who was the father? Why would she do this to him? Even in the midst of the chaos, though, Joseph is referred to as a just man, and he shows some level of compassion here as well towards Mary, not wanting to make a public spectacle out of all of this and, and end up having her stoned to death possibly for what he assumed she did. Well, life wasn't exactly measuring up to Joseph's expectations at this moment. He wasn't a rich man or anything like that, but I'll bet he still had dreams of the life that he would create for Mary and himself. Those expectations were clearly not being met. Joseph's experience of being seen as an honorable, hardworking family man were smashed. His expectations of starting a family with Mary were smashed. I think that a lot of Joseph's expectations were smashed at that moment. How could they not be? But while he's processing all this, something happens. Joseph is sleeping, which I would imagine didn't come easily to him, given all that was going on, and he dreams. And in that dream, an angel visits him. Um, and someday, honestly, I hope we get to see, to actually see what that dream looked like for Joseph. That'd be pretty cool. 
The angel has words for Joseph, and I say it that way to draw attention to the angel's words, specifically the angel's first words. Joseph, son of David. And here comes the immediate connection back to the genealogy by Matthew, and here comes the connection back to Joseph's ancestor, David, who the angel spoke of. I'm going to speculate here on a basic human need that I think Joseph had, like the rest of us do, that had recently been shaken. It was Joseph's basic need for significance. Now again, Joseph wasn't a wealthy, influential, famous man, but Joseph was a just man, which I assume was respected by the people around him. People could count on Joseph, but I doubt he felt like they could count on him anymore. The angel opens with the words, Joseph, son of David, reminding Joseph of who he truly was. Joseph came from the line of David, King David, that David. There couldn't have been a more effective way for the angel to cut through that sense of self-doubt that Joseph had to have been experiencing at the time. The angel affirms Joseph's identity for him and his security. He was one of God's people. And then the advice comes, and it was well-informed advice. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. God knew that Joseph was afraid. And not afraid of an angel in a dream, afraid of what life was seeming to become for him. A letdown, a series of smashed expectations. And the divine reset unfolds. This baby comes from God. This baby is the Messiah. This baby will save the world from their sins. This baby is the fulfillment of the words spoken by the prophets. The angel quotes Isaiah. This baby is actually God come to dwell with you. This baby will be named Jesus, named by God, not by Joseph, not by Mary. Reset. So how could this so-called angel be trusted? Well, part of the reason, I think, is that the angel spoke immediately of God's faithfulness. The promises that God made to David a thousand years earlier were being fulfilled. And the angel tied all of that together for Joseph by referring to him as Joseph, son of David. So we're going to bring David into this morning's story. A thousand years before Joseph, David was experiencing the faithfulness of God himself. And he spoke and wrote openly about that faithfulness. We need to see that. So just listen. You don't need to look these up. Listen to what David wrote. These are just a few examples of how tightly David held on to God's faithfulness. Right? Psalm 57, verses 1 to 3. He writes, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David was convinced that God would send help from heaven 
And there was that help laying on, on straw in a feed trough right in front of Joseph. Note that David mentions God's steadfast love and faithfulness. He put those two terms together and repeated them over and over again in the Psalms. And those are, are not the only examples from David's writings. There's all kinds of them in here where he does this. Psalm 85, verses 8 to 10. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not per- turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And Psalm 98, verse 3. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. David wrote often and at length about the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. David knew how faithful God is. Even as he talked about God sending help from heaven and the coming of God's salvation, which David would not see in his earthly lifetime, David knew God was and is faithful. God's promises would be fulfilled. They'd be realized in Jesus, which Joseph was now seeing himself, and they would carry on until the ends of the earth had seen his salvation, which is what we're seeing right now. So let me bring some depth to these words. Um, It's easy enough to talk about God's steadfast love and his faithfulness, but what are they really? What do they look like? What do they have to do with our longing for something or someone that we can count on? So let's begin with God's steadfast love. Steadfast love is a love that never gives up. Steadfast love is a love that sees beyond behavior. Steadfast love is a love that never waxes or wanes. It's a love that expresses itself freely in a multitude of ways. Steadfast love is a love that has been showcased for us in Jesus Christ. Steadfast love is a love that heals, forgives, restores, It's a love that's personal, yet global, all at the same time. It's a love that exists in this minute, yet has always existed and always will. Steadfast love is a love that we desperately need, and it's a love that we are capable of, having been created in the image of the one who demonstrates steadfast love perfectly. The steadfast love of God is something that we can always, always count on. His love will never let us down. God's love will never fail to live up to expectation. In fact, God's steadfast love greatly exceeds any kind of love that we can imagine. And that love is poured out on you and me faithfully by our God. How then can we express God's faithfulness? 
Well, his faithfulness is demonstrated for us in his relentless keeping of the promises that he makes. Like those that he made to David that were fulfilled in the arrival of Jesus. God's faithfulness is a never walking away fidelity. God's faithfulness is a history of demonstrated proof. God's faithfulness is found in an inspiring real life model named Jesus. God's faithfulness is something that is meant to be spoken into the lives of those he created. God is reliable. God is trustworthy. God is faithful. The genealogy of Jesus that Matthew wrote is a perfect showcase of God's faithfulness. God carried out a promise that he made and nothing could stand in his way. The people that God carried out his plan through were were sometimes failures by many standards. But no matter what they did, God would not be stopped in sending help to the earth to save those that he created. His steadfast love would drive his faithfulness in carrying out his plan. But imagine sticking to a plan for thousands of years when the people you've set out to rescue keep ignoring or even rejecting your efforts and are often unfaithful to you. Imagine sticking to a plan for thousands of years when the people you set out to rescue murder many of your messengers, including your only son. Imagine sticking to a plan for thousands of years when for thousands of years those same people skip down life's path headed entirely in the wrong direction. Even those you've already rescued have a hard time telling anyone else about you and your rescue plan. Your enemy seems to be more attractive to the people that you love so much. And your love most often goes unreturned. Still, God sends Jesus. And Jesus becomes one of us. He gives us a way back to God. When we couldn't possibly make our way to him, he comes to us instead. Then he does the work. He takes out the penalty for what we've done on his son. He offers grace to us instead. He offers forgiveness. He never gives up. He doesn't just decide not to come. And instead, even after all that happens to Jesus, the very last thing that we're told audibly by Jesus was, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's faithful. So faithful. After thousands of years watching his people be unfaithful to him, God still sends Jesus. Rather than waiting for an invite, God took the initiative to come to us as one of us and to extend to us an invitation back to him. And that invitation was not just for Israel, it was for all of us. That help that God sent didn't just come near us, it came to live in us. And that help that came as the fulfillment of God's promises didn't just come, return, and call it a day. He's coming back. That's faithful. 
so faithful. As Matthew detailed in his genealogy, that faithfulness goes a long, long way back. God made a promise to Abraham, the first name on the genealogy. He promised Abraham his offspring would be a blessing to the world. And now you and I actually get to be a part of that blessing. We are God's people. We are offspring of Abraham and David and Joseph. And God's faithfulness didn't stop with Joseph. He is faithful to you and me. And he has called you and me to join him in telling this world about this faithful God. This God who loves him with his steadfast love. I need to know that there is someone who is truly faithful. I need to know that I am truly significant and truly secure and God who created me with those needs is faithful to meet those needs himself. That's faithful. God never gave up on this world. God never gave up on his people. God never gave up on me. God never gives up on you. His steadfast love and faithfulness never diminished, never took a break, never threatened to leave, never left us alone. So it says in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Words spoken 700 years before Jesus actually came. That's faithful. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Words given to David a thousand years before Jesus came, spoken through an angel to Joseph to remind him of God's promises. That's faithful. So what did Joseph do with all this? Well, He got up and he did what the angel said to do. He stuck with Mary. He fulfilled God's plan for his life. Even if it didn't meet the expectations he may have had for his life, even if it may have appeared that Mary let him down, Joseph simply obeyed God. He saw God's faithfulness. Which means you know the answer to to my next question already, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What do we do with all this? What do you do with it? What do I do with it? Yeah, we simply obey God. In those moments when it seems like there's nothing and no one around us that we can truly count on, we have to remind ourselves of the Christmas story. When someone we know and even love lets us down, we have to go back to Bethlehem. When our lives just aren't turning out the way we want or expect them to, we have to return to the scene of this young guy named Joseph, whose life had been completely flipped on its head, and remember the things that he was told. There is someone who will never ever let us down. 
He promised us that he would send help for us, and he did. He promised us that we could be saved, and we can. He promised us that he would have mercy on us, and he does. He promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us, and he won't. Because he's faithful. So faithful. And let's remember that this Christmas season. We're going to close this service with a song that celebrates the arrival of Jesus and the faithfulness of God in fulfilling his promises. The chorus of the song says this In the dark, in the shadows, light has come. In the quiet, in the dead of night, Glory, glory, saying the angels in the highest, at last the king has arrived. As promised, God sent from heaven to save the world he created, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, born in Bethlehem. And that, brothers and sisters, that's faithful. Will you pray with me now? I want you to take just a moment before I pray and just express some gratitude to God. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him that through that steadfast love that he has for you, he has been faithful to you and he always will be. And Father, we do want to thank you for that this morning. We want to thank you for being such a faithful God. We want to thank you that when sin entered the world in the garden, Adam and Eve gave in to temptation. That that was not the end of the story. But in that moment plan began to unfold that involved you sending your son Jesus, Emmanuel to be with us and to save us from our sins and for thousands of years you faithfully carried out that plan in your time according to your will and then we reach that scene where and Joseph stare at this baby in a feed trough. Our Savior who came as one of us to save us and lead us back to you. I thank you that since then for thousands of years you have remained faithful to us. Putting people in our lives to Point us to you, faithfully offering mercy and grace, forgiveness. Never, ever leaving us. And we know, Father, that the day is coming when your faithfulness will once again be fulfilled in the return of your Son. We look forward to that day. 
So God, in this Christmas season, will you help us to remember your faithfulness to us, to the world, to Israel for so long, to us, your people. Thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your steadfast love. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son.